The History of the World podcast, written and presented by Chris Hasler. And this is the History of the World podcast, unscripted. History of the World podcast unscripted with me, Chris Hasler, and a few episodes in the middle of Volume 3 and Volume 4. So uh, we're just doing a weekly publication of unofficial stuff just to keep the podcast rolling, make sure that we don't slip away from your memory and uh, and remain in your uh, airwaves for a few weeks while we prepare Volume 4. Um, in the like in this interim period, we've basically been uh, giving you some spoilers for Volume Four and and touching on some subjects that we haven't uh, maybe spoken in depth about during uh, Volumes uh, Two and Three. Um, last week we spoke about the Twelve Olympian Gods. Uh, this week we're just going to um, look at um, some of the material that's coming up in Volume Four. And uh, also, we're going to be answering uh, a question that's been sent in by one of the podcast listeners, a member of the History of the World podcast, Illuminati, that exclusive group of people who have made financial contributions to the podcast. So without further ado, let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the aspect of Volume 4 that uh, we, we haven't mentioned yet and that we're going to be touching upon during later episodes of Volume 4. So um, I've already um, I've already introduced the fact that we're going to be talking about the rise of Islam. Um, we're going to be talking about the emergence of the nation states of Europe. So we're going to be following the story of Europe. We're going to be concentrating quite a lot on the battles of Europe. We're going to be sort of tracking briefly um, Indian history during the medieval period. So. Um, it sort of India sort of goes through a bit of a um, like a, a comparatively quiet phase of its evolution, we could say, um, between um, the the fall of the Gupta Empire and the emergence of Europeans um, in in India. Um, so, but we will touch upon that, and then also we'll be looking at the progress of China throughout the medieval period and its influence over the rising uh, cultures of Korea and Japan. Now, uh, we will also be, during Volume 4, concentrating on an area of the world which we maybe have neglected a bit in the last couple of volumes, and this will be the area of Southeast Asia. Now, Southeast Asia, a very, very interesting part of the world and, and quite unique and uh, it will be my pleasure to talk more about it um, as the podcast progresses. Um, it can, it's often referred to as the Indochina Peninsula, um, and probably with good reason, because I, I would suggest that probably the two uh, most influential cultures of the world on this region were the cultures of India and the cultures of China. We've already spoken a little bit about how some of the Chinese dynasties managed to expand their lands into 
what we now refer to as Northern Vietnam. Now, during the medieval period, we really sort of see Southeast Asia um, develop um, and in terms of the uh, the identities of of different uh, kingdoms as we as we should call them and um the the geography of of southeast asia also encompasses not just the indo-chinese peninsula but what we could refer to as the malay archipelago um which has also been referred to as the east indies and what we recognise today is the islands of Indonesia, Malaysia, um, uh, New Guinea, Borneo, the Philippines. Uh, so, so all of that uh, is really classed as as Southeast Asia. Now, um, the what what makes this area of the world quite unique, I would suggest, is the fact that it's been touched and influenced by so many of the world's cultures and you really get this sort of mix of cultures that you don't get anywhere else in the world and um you as i've mentioned you it was touched by chinese and indian cultural influences and not least of all the religions um we see um certainly buddhism emerge uh, very much with the uh, uh the srivijaya people of the island of java who managed to sort of carve out this area of influence um, among the Indonesian islands and uh, certainly certainly part of the mainland I believe as well so we'll be exploring that culture and um, certainly the, the Buddhist uh, influence on that um, when um, when the Chinese encountered this culture they, they saw fit to document it which helps us now to tell the story of the Srivijaya and, and we'll be bringing you that story during volume four. We'll also be looking at some of the neighbouring cultures that sought to challenge this culture as well. So um, so that will be um, an episode that we devote during volume four. But going back to what I was saying about the, the uniqueness of this area of the world, the it's been touched by so many different cultures so not just during the, the medieval period when we see the indian and chinese cultures but also um as the the medieval period came to an end we found we find that islam also started influencing people of this area of the world and then later on during the age of discovery we see Europeans, uh, not least of all the Dutch, uh, the Spanish and, and the British coming into this area of the world and having quite extensive influence and bringing Christianity to this area of the world. So we, we really see this quite quite interesting blend of culture and religion in this area of the world. And um, we, we, we can go back to this period where the Srivijaya um culture emerged as quite a local culture um and recognize that there are other cultures that are emerging at a similar sort of time and um with their with their various influences so like on on indochina for example where the funan um culture did exist um before the medieval period we mentioned them briefly during volume three uh, we see the Khmer Empire, which was the, uh, I suppose, the origins of the modern country of Cambodia, um, emerged during this period.
And it's uh, from this from this particular culture that we get probably one of the most identifiable medieval uh, Southeast Asian sites of Angkor Wat, which is the um, which is a very iconic um, construction made made by the king of Angkor, the king of the Khmer Empire at the time. So we'll be looking a, li a little bit about this very famous temple and uh, exploring the, the origins of the Khmer Empire during the, during Volume 4. But over on the East Coast, where we've already mentioned that the Chinese had previously uh, influenced uh, the, the northern regions of these lands, uh, which we would refer to as the modern country of Vietnam, um, we can see that in the south, the Champa people um, formed the kingdom in the south of the peninsula on the east coast. And um, and their history is quite well intertwined with the Dai Viet. And this really, this this comes forward to us. So the Dai Viet were, were the, the cultures of northern Vietnam who sort of revolted against their Chinese overlords and, and carved out this... Uh, this kingdom of themselves, this independent state, and uh, their certainly their history is very much intertwined with the Champa, and it's fascinating how we get this difference of culture between North and South Vietnam. That you know that if we go through to the Vietnam War, we can see how relevant the difference between North and South Vietnam. Um, has, has sort of come through to the modern age. So that, that's quite interesting. We'll sort of certainly um, investigate the foundation of that during Volume 4. So um, very interesting to discover Vietnam for the first time. Over in the West, um, we can see uh, Indian cultures sort of um, influencing the lands of the modern country of Myanmar, which historically referred to as Burma, and we see the origins of what we could describe as Burmese culture, the, the medieval cultures of these lands, um, at the city of Pagan. And so we'll, we'll investigate that, and obviously their history uh, runs into um, the... Uh, well, that their paths are crossed by the Mongols ultimately. So we see that that the Mongolian influence of the Mongol Empire um, touches this area of the world as well. So we so amongst talking about that, as we've already mentioned, they're going to be quite a, a serious part. The Mongols um, are going to be quite a serious part of Volume Four, and then they they also creep into this story of Southeast Asia. So there's a lot to look forward to in terms of our, our, our ex exploration of this area of the world during medieval times, and we we get to sort of we get to lay the foundation of what would become this very unique uh, area of the world uh, today that is influenced and uh, carries uh, the torch of so many different cultures from so many different areas of the world. So. Uh, it will be very interesting to watch the earliest developments of this area of the world. So there we go, something to listen to um, in Volume 4, the history of Southeast Asia, the Indo-Chinese Peninsula and the Malay Archipelago. So uh, we'll, we'll be very excited to bring you the story of that. Now, if you enjoy the History of the World podcast, obviously, as you will already know, I'm sure you can support the podcast and you can go to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com 
website. Click on the Patreon link and sign up and make a monthly contribution. You can really help me to keep the podcast going and to keep the quality of the podcast as high as I can possibly make it. And uh, when you do make a monthly contribution, you become a lifelong member of the History of the World podcast Illuminati. And um, when you do become a member of the History of the World podcast Illuminati, you qualify for rewards. And one of those rewards that you can qualify for, uh, one of the earliest rewards in, in your journey through being a History of the World podcast Illuminati member, is to be offered the opportunity to have a question answered during the podcast. So we briefly um, we briefly uh, respond to a question sent in by a member of the Illuminati. This week, we've got a question uh, from uh, one of our Illuminati members. If you bear with me, I'm just going to bring it up here. So it's, it's quite it's quite an interesting question um, in terms of the the subject that we that is tackled. It's quite a it's quite an abstract subject. So I'm going to read the email. It's from Ian van Alphen from the Netherlands. And he's put, Hi Chris, uh, thank you for your email and the opportunity to let me be a part of your podcast by letting me ask a question. I had to think hard to get the most out of this. Although I have many questions, as you can imagine, it has to fit the profile. I also wouldn't want to get too much ahead of the timeline. So I came up with this question. I was wondering, what was known about the concept of beauty? in the discussed eras and parts of the world. I really wouldn't know whether much is known about this, so hopefully it's not too broad a spectrum to discuss in a few minutes. Um, I've read much about who's, who was considered beautiful, like Venus or Aphrodite, but how and how are the times and places? When we see beautiful people, Mark Antony, Cleopatra for instance, from older days in modern ways, movies, shows, etc., they they look the way they look is probably based on our modern vision. This is probably not the way beauty was considered then. I compare it with the beauties of the sixties and the beauties of Rubens paintings. If possible or needed, I could broaden the spectrum: men, women, body shapes, colour of skin, hair, eyes, body decorations, tattoo piercings, but also objects, statues, frescoes, and natural things, flowers, animals, sunsets. I hope you like this question. I could formulate another question if this one is not fitting, so let me know. Thanks again for your superb work. Uh, keep it up. Well, um, I suppose in, a, in order to answer that question in, in just a couple of minutes, um, I, I really have to sort of maybe give you a broad perspective and, and maybe my own opinion. Now, beauty uh, is obviously something of a personal thing, so what I may find beautiful might not be um, what the next person finds beautiful and likewise what they might find beautiful, likewise I might not find uh, beautiful. So beauty is often something that is attributed to the, uh, to the, um, to the sense of sight. Uh, but of course we all know that something can taste beautiful, something can smell beautiful, something can sound beautiful, something can feel beautiful. So it's a very, very sensual thing when we talk about beauty. However, if we're looking specifically about um, the concept of beauty and what looks beautiful, which I think is where we're alluding to this question, often we can be, um, we can be swayed by media. 
to look at things a certain way. And when I when I consider that, I, I would look at maybe um, those who study um, beauty in the media um, often cite maybe um, you know the looks of of the the British model Twiggy uh, from the nineteen sixties with a very sort of slim body shape and. Then obviously during the nineteen eighties, uh, there was very it was a much more glamorous hourglass sort of figure that was promoted, and certainly um, in the UK we used to we used to have page three girls who who used to be in a in a, a state of advanced undress. We could say that was in our that was in our national newspapers, which now just for, just thirty or forty years later seems does seem quite ludicrous and it was really in a lot of our lifetimes that we, we, we remember this such thing so but certainly the the slender and slimline look um that maybe is has been promoted with uh, you know more modern supermodels as well it was certainly not the look that was being um promoted in 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 such publications as those sort of glamorous uh, model shoots um but then historically, as we go back in history, we can see that different body shapes are celebrated. And, and really, we're also referring specifically to females here. So like, without even looking at the male body form, we're just looking at the female body form because the female body form tends to add more diversity and it tends to be um, much more... Um, Shall we say much more highly spoken about among heterosexual males? Really, that heterosexual males tend to historically make a big thing because of their lustful um, feelings um, about beautiful women, and uh, likewise, women tend to put more time, uh, certainly in Westernized cultures, into their look and how they look, and and certainly to feel appealing and. To feel uh, to feel good about themselves, to to feel like they look attractive and they look respectable, so th- it really filters into everyone's psyche this thing from like both the media and from our personal desires. If we go back to say the nineteen twenties, with the, this very slimline shape was was very much um, was very much promoted as the way to look. Um, and so, so you can pick out different decades, and you can sort of look at different, different looks. This this theory of media promotion is also something that, like, so in the modern age, we we attach it to commercialism. We look at things like where companies are trying to promote a certain look in order to promote their products, such if, if even if it's makeup or something like that. But makeup, we can look back right the way back to Egyptian times, where um, makeup was used to make. Uh, the the most important females of society and sometimes even the males of society look more like um, make them look more f- appealing, more majestic, and it wasn't this wasn't necessarily a media for commercialism, but this was a media of promoting a cultural feeling amongst your population. So if you made your kings and queens look the most eye catching or awe inspiring look. 
they would be the most venerated members of your society and they and they and and you would want your leaders to look more majestic and, and more beautiful than your neighbours' leaders, let's say. So you wouldn't just use makeup, you'd use clothing, you'd use jewellery. Um, so so that is also a fundamental aspect that media is just is not just centred around modern commercialism, but it's also um, it's also part of um, let's say um, promoting your society as the strongest society. It was an aspect of looking impressive, and we can look back to maybe Roman times as well for for that kind of culture. But then also, if we look at the ancient Greeks, and you mentioned Aphrodite, Ian, as well. Aphrodite is a very interesting figure because if you look um, at um, uh, images of Aphrodite, often you see like the the statues from ancient times of Aphrodite, where she she's she looks very um, very much your average lady without any sort of um, you know she doesn't look athletic, um, she doesn't look particularly fat, but she looks quite average. She looks like your average female with you know maybe maybe what we might describe as a little bit of puppy fat. Um, but um, certainly um, not the look of a glamour model of the of the nineteen eighties, and and certainly not the look of a supermodel of the nineteen nineties, for example. Um, which is interesting because she's perceived as one of the most beautiful and attractive women uh, that you could ever see. Um, so the the images of Aphrodite from from classical times tend to tend to she she has a very average body shape. Um, but also other images of Aphrodite when the perception of beauty changed in more modern times. So when you see Aphrodite sometimes pictured in 20th century recreations, she's suddenly she's got this very slim um, models figure, um, which which isn't accurate to the statues of that time. So that so so even just portrayals of of Aphrodite change according to what is considered or what we believe should be considered as beautiful as a society and a culture of that contemporary time. So that's also extremely interesting too. But then we can also see that um, general, the, the beauty of athleticism, um, really the, the purest form of um, someone looking impressive probably goes back to ancient Greece as well. So we look at the the portrayals of uh, Greek gods and Olympians and and Olympic athletes as well. And they are they look as good as um any sort of modern athlete. So they they have this fantastic physique that looks like they um they take very good care of their bodies and they take very good care to develop their bodies in order to make their bodies as capable as possible. And these uh, these looks, these athletic, muscular looks, are celebrated amongst the statues of ancient Greeks, and um, certainly um, they promoted the naked body, and certainly not in a sexual way, which we've, you know, we've touched upon that in this description, but much more... In an, in an admiration, uh, in a sense of admiration and the way of saying that this is beautiful because this is a body of a person who has 
looked after and treated their body as something to be uh, something to be treasured. So I think that's all I can say on the subject. And I hope none of it come across as too, um, I don't know, too too uh, shallow or too, um, I don't know. You have to, it's very difficult to talk about beauty without sort of talking about the 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 sexual aspect of it and talking about maybe some of the raw emotions that, that can be frowned upon in modern society. So I hope no one was offended by anything that I said and uh, and and I hope that maybe sort of touched upon your question well Ian. So but thank you for sending in such a fascinating question. I think I'll uh, I'll stop there before I dig an even deeper hole for myself. But thank you. Now if you would similarly like to have a question answered during the during one of the podcasts such as I did for Ian uh, just then um, by all means then just go along to the Patreon website uh, become a patron of the website and and read about some of the rewards that are available on that website on the Patreon website and um, some of the things so um, just recently I've sent some gift packs out to people and uh, so I do like to look after you and show you how much I appreciate your support of the project so um, please do go along and see what you can be entitled to. We have a new member of the History of the World podcast, Illuminati, to welcome this week. Um, And her name is Reba Roberts, who's signed up and become a a lifelong member of the History of the World podcast, Illuminati. Welcome and thank you to you, Reba. And um, we will now move on to see who else has written into the podcast. Uh, We didn't get too many messages this week, which is probably just as well because we're... um, we're, we're running short on time. Paul C. Mole wrote in and put, uh, Hi Chris, just wanted to tell you how much I'm enjoying your podcast and how I'm impressed, uh, how impressed I am with all the work I know it takes. In my retirement, I've become a history podcast junkie and listened to three of them with great pleasure. Turns out I got lucky because when I finished them, I kept trying others and finding them really problematic, too entertainment orientated, too personal perspective orientated, not really deep enough, etc. And then I stumbled onto yours. I'm so pleased with it. I'm still on volume one. Part of what so impresses me is that prehistory is an area I tend to keep up with. So you are covering much of what I was already aware of. But there are so many things of depth that you are adding that I was unaware of. Keep it up. I plan to keep going with you, Paul. Thank you. That, that oh, That's a great message, Paul, because um, the fact that I'm, I'm adding... Uh, bits to your knowledge is, is amazing especially if you study such things because um, certainly I'm not um, you know I've never worked in in that area and, and I'm really just a, a, a student of prehistory the same as anyone else so um, so the fact that I have introduced some ideas that I've, that I've stumbled across uh, to you for the first time is is wonderful and a great um a great endorsement of the work that I'm doing. So I really do appreciate your message, Paul. Thank you. Wayne Tolly has written in, but hey, just started listening to your podcast. Great listening. Think I'm up to uh, the farming and harvesting. I know I'm heaps behind, but like the format and the level of knowledge. Thanks. Uh, thank you very much, Wayne. That's uh, incredibly kind. Um it was strange. I I, I actually um, posted um, a little sort of comic strip that um, that I discovered this week. This little menial man had, had obviously died and gone to heaven, and 
as he walked up to the gates of heaven. He's he's put, did I waste my life by making podcasts? And this figure, obviously, uh, St. Peter, um, has replied saying, thousands of people listen to your podcast every day. So you wasted thousands of lives by making podcasts. Um, I thought it was quite amusing, so I posted it. And um, many... Many of you have come back and sort of given me some encouragement. It's almost as if I was, uh, you might have all been worried that I got a bit insecure perhaps and like just uh, sent back a lot of positive uh, messages. But like it's a real uh, real positive atmosphere that is created by this podcast. We like I think people that do listen to educational podcasts um, are, are good and decent people that um, write some very complimentary stuff, and and so on some of the other forums that we post material on, um, it's not always that complimentary, and and it does make you scratch your head and wonder why. Um, but I think our little community here is a is a great little community full of full of lovely people and people who I really appreciate hearing from. So uh, do. Do do keep the messages coming. I, I really do enjoy reading them, and, and thank you so much for all your positive energy. Now, we're just going to uh, wrap up this week, but I think it's also important to, um, to not tease you too much, really, in terms of what's coming up. So we're, we're getting quite close to Volume 4 now. A lot of work has already been done, a lot of preparation work and, and uh, a considerable amount of writing has already been done. So we're, we're getting very close to a position where we can start and I believe you know, we'll be making some very, very important announcements over the next uh, two or three weeks regarding the launch of Volume 4. Um, certainly before we get into Volume 4, I did want to stay good to my promises to those people who have I've promised special podcast episodes to as well. Um, and I'm, um, I'm willing to sort of give you a little bit of a, uh, willing to open the door a little bit more on, the, on those special episodes. So at the moment we've got two special episodes planned and um, I plan to publish them in the two weeks leading up to the launch of Volume 4. So it won't be long before we start and publishing proper episodes, um, even if they are just special episodes initially. Firstly, um, I'll be um, publishing an episode for a gentleman called Shane Smith, who has um, qualified via the uh, method of contributions to the podcast. So he's a History of the World podcast Illuminati member. And uh, he specifically came to me and asked me, for a particular subject, and it's a very interesting subject and something that is also relevant to medieval history um, as we sort of dive right back to the early second millennium and uh, Iceland. And I've already sort of issued a, a, a few little teasers, but we're actually going to be looking at the lifetime of the very, uh, the very famed Snorri Stolitsen, who um, wrote, who wrote um, a great many Viking sagas, but the story of his life is, is a fascinating story of a man embroiled in Norse politics. Um, and um, so we're going to be telling his story uh, thanks to the recommendation of Shane Smith. And uh, initially, I think it was quite an intimidating subject to write about because it was, um, there's not a lot out there in you know it's not a lot that's easy to find about the lifetime of Snorri Sturluson you have to sort of dig a little bit deeper beneath the surface and, and you have to sort of investigate a little bit about Norwegian history as well to be able to 
understand um, the politics of that area of the world at that period of, of history. So um, he was a, a great um, writer of Viking sagas and Viking sagas invoke the imagination of many people who are interested in history, uh, with Iceland being like the hotbed of Viking saga writing uh, generally anyway. So... Um, so we'll look forward to publishing that and, um, and and it won't be long before you hear that episode. The other one um, is for a good friend of mine who I've mentioned quite a lot and he, he creates the YouTube videos. He's, uh, he's having a bit of a bad time of it at the moment. His name's Nick Barksdale and, and um, he's, uh, I, I, I wish you get well soon, Nick. Um, I know you're struggling at the moment and uh, I won't sort of talk too much about it, but I know you're, you're having a hard time at the moment. And um, hopefully um, I'll publish an episode on the Mississippian culture of, uh, the, of North America, uh, what is now the United States of America. And um, this is a subject which you've mentioned to me in the past and hopefully um, it will give you some pleasure listening to it while, while you're recovering. So um, get well soon and uh, hopefully I can sort of brighten up your day a little bit with a bit about the Mississippian. So that will be coming uh, in the coming weeks too. Um, anyway, I've, uh, I've rambled on for long enough this week, so thank you very much for listening again. Um, I'm not sure what we're going to be talking about next week, but we're certainly getting very close to the launch of Volume 4 now, so hopefully I'll have some news about maybe a date when that will, will, be, uh, when that will be starting. So... Hopefully next week I can give you that information. But until next week, thank you so much for listening. And uh, don't forget to be good. Come to the History of the World podcast.com and join all the other hot welders on our wide range of social media. Why not support the podcast by clicking the Patreon link or buying me a book and becoming a lifelong member of the History of the World podcast, Illuminati. Drop me a line at historyoftheworldpodcast.mail.com and let me know what you thought of this week's episode. See you next time.